another edition of the Stats War Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and we've got another great episode for you today. TCU comes off a pretty rough loss. I don't want to talk about it, but Grant and I get into it a little bit, and they're looking to rebound this weekend by hosting the Kansas Jayhawks. So we have Andy Mitz of Rock Chalk Talk and the Land Grant Gauntlet on the podcast. He's a pretty great guest, super knowledgeable about all things Kansas. We actually get pretty deep unexpectedly into the notice of allegations against Kansas basketball, which is super interesting. So there's some great content there. And then we break down the football game from the Kansas perspective. I will note, uh, this happens to every podcast at some point in the journey. And it happened today. Grant's computer died or the Wi-Fi went out or something crazy happened. And so before Grant and I were able to wrap up things, he just cut out. So we lost some audio, but I think I saved enough of it. And then I was able to transition and, and get, uh, Andy on as a guest. So I'll hop out of the way and let the podcast happen. Just know there might be the littlest bit of weird transition as we end Grant's segment just because I was on a time crunch and Grant's Wi-Fi malfunctioned. We don't hold it up against him. It's fine. As always, follow me at Stats of War on Twitter and look for my preview up on the site tomorrow. difficulties aside uh grant i don't want to do it i i don't want to talk about this smu game but i feel like we need to okay um anything you need to take care of yeah. starting off here is there do you, oh do you want to share your news i do yeah so briefly so um i um have accepted a freelance position with the dallas morning news um i did the same thing in college but i will be at uh, every press conference and every TCU home game and probably a few close away games from now on. Uh, very excited about it. Um, I will be tweeting out my stuff. So, uh, yeah, just very pumped um, to be working for the Dallas Morning News. And we'll still be writing for Frogs of War, just kind of uh, on more of a Bay 12-wide basis. But, yeah. yeah awesome, awesome. That's great. Um, we'll still get your lists, right? That's that's all we really care about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Good. sure, for sure, for sure. Okay, let's not... Let's not forestall the inevitable. Let's talk about the disaster of a game that was Saturday. So SMU comes into TCU, beats them for the first time since 2011, 41-38. TCU, on the back of a bad snap, uh, gets the ball on the 41 with uh, a couple of minutes left on the clock, has the opportunity to score and tie it, take it to overtime, and instead runs the ball twice and then throws a a heave-ho while... Duggan avoids getting sacked, and SMU takes home the iron skillet. Grant, give me your thoughts. Yeah, so I was at this game for um, the first three quarters, and I will readily admit that I left at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, I think all the wind was taken out of TCU's sails in the first half with the three fumbles um, that the Horned Frogs had, I think. Um, That also probably put more of a strain on the defense that uh, Patterson would have liked. Um, giving up 31 points in the first half. Um, you saw coming out of the second half, you know, TCU shut out SMU in the third quarter. I think the defense was on the field way too much in the first half, and the offense couldn't get anything going. I think some of those fumbles were, you know, just extremely poorly timed. I mean, the one right by, you know, the, the end zone for SMU in the first quarter was, was tough, and I think um, the lack of a rhythm for the offense in the first half and, and 
just giving SMU every opportunity was kind of what sealed the fate for, for TCU in this game. Yeah, I mean, the, the turnovers, you just can't, gosh, you just can't say enough about those. So, um, yeah, I, I tweeted out last night, uh, or not last night, earlier this week, SMU's average starting field position was their own 36.6 yard line. Um, and on their seven scoring drives, their average field position was the 46-yard line. But after those three turnovers, they started on TCU's 17-yard line. Um, and so TCU just gave them just gave them points, which is mind-blowing because uh, I've got Bill, C's, uh, Bill Conley's box score up right here, which is a really great detailed document. He tweets these out, and they're awesome. TCU actually had... 4.26 expected turnovers and expected turnovers is based on the number of fumbles just balls on the ground and then also the number of passes defended and so tcu actually had about 2.3 points of turnover luck in their favor meaning that smu on average probably should have scored a field goal more uh so not not great yeah um you, you mentioned that had the wind out of their sails in the first half if we go success rate by quarter I'm just going to read one through four right here. TCU, 27% in the first quarter, 26% in the second quarter, 35% in the third quarter, and 50% in the fourth quarter, which was too little too late. SMU, terrible in the first quarter too, only 33% success rate. You know, they had that big play and then they had the pick play. Um, but then in quarter two, TCU allowed SMU to be successful on 59% of their plays, which is obscene in a word. Yeah, it, no, it is, and and I think um, even in the stands, you kind of got a sense that SMU was, I, I wouldn't say moving the ball at will, but it seemed like every time they needed a crucial third down conversion or a big play, they got it. Um, there was confetti lining the field from uh, SMU's turnover club service, uh, which I thought was cool last week, uh, until I saw it happen against TCU, and I, then I didn't think it was that cool, but... Um, yeah, no, every time TC, or SMU needed a play, they got it. It's kind of what the sense was. and um, It just felt like everything went against TCU. Uh, it, it was kind of brutal, to be honest. It, it wasn't fun to watch, I'll tell you that, um, from someone who's a TCU. No, it was an anxiety-inducing game. Just from the standpoint of it starts out and you think, okay, this has happened. We know what's going to happen. TCU's going to right the ship. And then they just didn't. It just didn't happen. So... so yeah, so so on that note, and, and again, I so I like I said, I watch this game from the stands, and it's actually really hard to kind of keep track of the game and remember what happened at certain points. But to me, one of the biggest plays of the game was the failed uh, fourth down conversion um, with uh, Shaywell Alamalua and the you know I guess the wild frog or whatever you want to call it. That frog was um, anything but wild. Did a pass? Yeah. Um, <laughs> There are a lot of storylines around that that I, 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 I don't think either of us are really qualified to go into in terms of, you know, Cumbie's play calling um, in that scenario and Patterson letting Cumbie talk to the media afterwards. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff surrounding that that I don't necessarily want to get into. But that felt like a turning point. And I feel like the TCU running game was good enough. Uh, I think actually TCU averaged more yards per run than yards per pass attempt. Um, so having a non-quarterback attempt to throw a pass, to me, it seems like a bad decision, Parker. I don't know. Yeah, so I'll I'll hit some raw stats before I get into my subjective nonsense. Yeah, please because, do. Please do. Yeah, we we don't do the uh, we don't do the journalism. So 
Well, you do professionally, just not here in this space. We don't do the journalism. Right, so, right, right, right. TCU, right. 6.59 yards a carry last uh, Saturday and 4.55 yards per passing attempt. Just uh, not not great. Gets a little tiny bit better on passing downs as opposed to standard downs. But, yeah, the, the passing game was just not there. There were a couple of drops. There were a couple incredible plays um, so, so Duggan made a couple good throws and some SMU cornerbacks just had, had the hands to, to move the ball where we could yeah. it. Jalen Rager had a really long gain that probably at, at that course, I believe that was early second quarter at that point in the course of the game probably would have flipped the narrative and we'd be talking about TCU, you know, getting, getting by on the skin of their teeth, surviving a scare. If he caught that Jalen Rager had two hands on the ball and just coming down and the SMU cornerback just came in and punched the ball out. It was, um. Kind of, yep. kind of incredible. As for that fourth down, man, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try and be very judicious with my words here. I yeah. think that was dumb. I mm-hmm. do not think it mm-hmm. is defensible to run two of those plays back to back, especially given your rushing yep. success. That's fine. Try something weird. Uh-huh. Totally okay with that. Sure. But to one, sure. bring Alex Delton in where Sonny Dykes is smart enough to know, yep, they are going to run it, and they're going to run it up the middle, which they did. Yep. And then to run into the Wild Frog, you basically signal your play call both times there. Also, let's talk yep. about comparative advantage for a second. Who's a better thrower, Delton or Shaywo? Uh, Del- I'm going to go Alex Delton. Del- yeah, Delton's fine. Um, yeah. Especially... Yeah. Yeah from the standpoint of they don't know what's betting. So they don't know what's coming. And so you think about comparative advantage there and you think about, well, I'd rather them be uncertain if Delton's going to run or pass or think that Delton's going to run and have him pass. That's going to be a better play than the uncertainty or than if we think Shea going to run and then he ends up passing. But SMU didn't even think Shea was going to run. They saw that first play and they saw the second play. And I just think, look, man, 6.59 yards per carry you're rolling on that drive. You're marching. Why do something? We I hate when coaches change your play call in this red zone. Like you march down the field. You have this long drive. Yeah. Why are you changing your place? Yeah. So, so two brief things on that. One, it, it reminded me of last year against Oklahoma – or uh, two years ago against Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State ran that weird trick play that TCU picked yeah. off for like no reason. I don't know if you remember that game or not. Like it was just a bizarre decision. Um, and then otherwise, so – on Saturday, like I said, um, I went with my family, um, and my dad and I were standing under the stands, and this guy, clearly a student, um, one of the more frat people I've ever seen in my life, to be honest with you, was kind of walking to the student section as his fourth down, as the third down play was starting, and he looked at me and he goes, has Delton been in this entire drive? I was like, no, man, I think they just put him in with this play, and he just kind of shook his head, and then sure enough, that didn't work, and then the Shaywell play didn't yeah. And even, like, this random dude in the stands was like, well, clearly they're going to try to run something. And then fourth down play, like, uh, just a bad Shaywo, uh, like, centered action. Um, so when even this guy in the stands is analyzing what you're going to do, it seems like a bad decision. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just felt like that was um, so blatantly desperate. What does yeah. it say about, okay, let's, look, I'm not, I know I've tweeted some things. We're not going to do that on the podcast right now. <laughs> But what does it say about what you think about your players for you to call that? Right. I just, God. Right. No, I, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to roll this in, and that's, I know this, this is your podcast, uh, your podcast, Parker, but um, JD Moore, good friend of the, 
friend of the pod, um, asked about uh, Patterson complaining about fan support um, in this game. I don't know if you saw that or not from yesterday's I I did. Uh, I'm very unhappy about that, yeah. too. Yeah, so JD asked, GP complaining about fan support is an integral part of the PC football experience. Does he have a point, or is he just cranky coach complaining after losses? I'll say this being in the stands. It was 100 degrees at 2.30 p.m. SMU was beating the bejesus out of PCU in the first half, and the Frogs didn't seem too you know, hasty to change that at that point. Um, I think that's probably a bad move for a coach, especially after this game, to complain about where the fans were. I know it's a rivalry. I know they need fans in the stands, but even before the game started, there was a lot of red and blue. Like, SMU fans did show up even before the game. So tying that into fans being fair weather, I think it's kind of a bad look, um, especially after losing to SMU on your home field when you're ranked number 25. In the yeah, yeah. So I'll say, like, t- SMU's postgame win expectancy is only 53%. In all reality, TC okay. probably should have come away with, more often than not, should have come away with a, a win we all regretted. It didn't happen. Right. You shouldn't have been in that position. Um, I think this is a hundred percent Gary doing a little bit of smokescreen because he sure. let Sonny answer some questions and then saw how people responded and thought, let's pivot away from that because he evidently has no intention of, of moving on from, from Sonny in, in, in game or in season. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Right. And so I think right. that's just one of those things where you're like, I don't know. I mean, what, I would love to live in this world, but yeah, the, you, you never live in the world where the coach is just like, yeah, we sucked and we were flat and that was gross. You just gotta, <laughs> you gotta find something. So some of that's just a microphone's in your face all the time. You don't know what to say, but sure. Sure. And yeah, there are a lot of things that, yeah, but I, again, I know this is a, a, a stats podcast, not necessarily a opinion podcast, but um, that, that was a very interesting statement that he made. I'll say that it, it was, it was weird. And, and I, JD asking it, yeah, it is kind of a lot of cranky coach complaining at the losses. Yes, that is a That's very fine. strong, very, very strong element of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking at some of these other stats, just kind of recapping this, you know, we talked about the passing game just hasn't been there. And I think at this point it's it's play calling and it's and it's drops. I think it, it was less drops in the SMU game as it was, you know, there's, there's better defense than TCU's seen, which is kind of crazy. But I think the big number... On Saturday is is this line right here. Seven targets, two catches, two yards total, 0% success rate, one yard per catch, 0.3 yards per target, no touchdowns, Jalen Rager. Whew. It looks like someone wow. had... It looks like someone had game planned for TCU's very unidimensional passing game. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and again, I, I, you know, I think Pro Wells had two touchdowns in the second half, which is an odd stat for for TCU. Um, yeah, it, it's weird how much Rager, not to downplay him, but he's been taken out of a lot of games so far this year. And I don't know if that's other coaches game planning really well and knowing that TCU can be one dimensional, or if I, I don't want to speculate on anything else, but yes, I agree. That's a a, a worrisome statistic. Yeah, I so I mean I think a lot of it is um, is downfield. You know, TCU's uh, longest pass of the night 
was actually a uh, a three yard dump to Darius Anderson, who then turned around and ran <laughs> yeah. for like twenty nine yards. Yeah. Um, and then another one to Darius Davis that was thirty yards where he caught and ran for a little bit too. And so you just there's just no downfield passing attack at all, which is um, no. again SMU does not have a good defense. Their defense is better than Purdue's. It's better than no. UAPB's. But still, they are not a good defense. And the fact that you couldn't impose your will or at least run, figure out what was working and then run that a bunch. So I think TCU had a couple awesome drives, right? Uh, third quarter right. and then early fourth quarter, there, there were some awesome drives. And what they were doing was attacking the middle of the field because clearly Sonny Dykes has the playbook. He a little bit wrote the playbook for TCU where they're spreading out and they're moving towards the side. Um, they're moving towards the sidelines. And so SMU is playing really, really tough to the boundary. And TC was able to kind of get into the middle of the field, confuse, confuse some people, find some open space, and get some yardage and, and pass, which then opened up the run a whole lot, right? And they forgot about that. I just It was just bewildering to me yeah. that they had these successful well, I, drives and then they forgot about what was successful. I completely agree. And even looking at, like, just the base stats, like, straight-up box score, it is a weird TCU box score. Like, Darius Anderson... First off, we should acknowledge that Anderson is extremely good, and like it stinks that he might be part of a wasted season. Like he had 19 carries for 161 yards, two TDs. A lot of that yardage came on a 77-yard run that was ruled not a touchdown, but he is extremely yep. good. But like looking at the rushing box score, like Alonalua, he had five carries for seven yards. That's yeah. weird. Like he had 100 yards against Purdue. Um, over 100. Amara DiMercato had four carries for 10 yards. Darius Davis had a carry for 19 yards. Rager had a carry for 29 yards. Like, the fact that TCU didn't know how to use its run game more effectively is a worrisome sign. And I agree with you. It's like the play calling didn't mirror what was effective for the Horn Frogs in this game. And it's, I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, well, I think that, I, like, that. I go to that. So, so let's let's talk about Darius Anderson for a second. Yeah. Uh, eight eight point four yards per carry, uh, success rate of forty seven percent, which is um, just mm-hmm. just awesome. And he had a great game. But I go over and you know I've been playing with these EPA numbers, right? And uh-huh. um, and and TCU on offense has been averaging about point three added points per rush. So let me explain that real quick. Expected points. Again, this is a really preliminary model, so I don't 100% trust these numbers, but they're generally good. But so expected point says, all right, based on the down, the distance, and the yard line, what do we expect you to do on this drive, right? And then it says, after that play, based on the new down, distance, and yard line, what do we expect you to do on this play? And the difference is expected points added. So pretty simple. You do something good, like you get a first down on third and 15, huge expected point swing, right? Whereas if you rush for two yards on first down, it takes some of that away. So it's a little bit like a weighted success rate, right? Because it's kind of saying, how were you successful and how successful were you? So TCU has been worth about three, a third of a point per rush. And they've been yep. worth negative 0.6 points on a pass. Um, so that's literally a point <laughs> per play difference there. But yep. that doesn't capture yep. this variation in plays where they just they just ran a lot in obvious situations. So if you look at their, um, their passing down passing, they 
were, oh, I don't have the percentages. I thought I was going to have the percentages. Let me do this in my head real quick. I might cut this out. I might not. Who knows? No, that's okay. So yeah. eight of eight of Duggan's 16 completions came on standard downs versus passing downs, which means that TC okay. was really, really balanced on standard downs, which is like first and first and long, second and medium. First it's those second. kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, you don't, you, you, there's not like an obvious tendency. And so they passed more on standard downs than they did on passing downs. They were rushing when... I don't, they were just rushing in long situations, and it just felt like they had completely tanked yeah. on the passing game at some point when it was really successful when they were going over the middle. So, I don't know. I could talk about this until I'm blue in the face. Uh, but no, no, no. I, I, I know, I know what you mean. It, it is, it is. Yeah, I, I, I do think, I do think there is potential in this offense, and I do think Cumby has shown signs of being able to unlock it. But it is weird that in some games it's like it doesn't. Yeah. Exist. And I, I don't have the stats or the know-how or whatever to quantify it or say what should be better, but just observing it, it seems like there's still another level that this offense can reach that it just isn't. And, and that's kind of yeah. I just it, it's like but, what is the what is yeah. the stepping stone to getting to the next level, and why aren't they taking it? But right. I mean, it does. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And, 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 no, I was gonna say it, this game specifically. Patterson did come out and say the fault lies mostly on him because of the defense. And I think a lot of that is coach speak for I'm covering for my guys, but he did say that he tried to load up a lot of guys in the box to stop the run, and that backfired. And he expected Vernon Scott to be able to play a better role at weak safety, and Scott was unable to play on Saturday. So I do think there were some defensive, you know, liabilities that kind of factored into TCU being unable to stop SMU and that, you know, factored in the offenses of, you know, effectiveness, stuff like that. So I, I'm not going to blame it all on Cumby and the offense and the personnel, but, you know, I, I, I just think that should be mentioned that he did come out and say that. And I do think there is some truth to it in the game plan, not being exactly what he pictured it. Yeah. This definitely feels like a, um, a look ahead situation, which is crazy because they're playing Kansas next week. But I'll do right. a little segue. It's frustrating to see in a in a game where points matter, us yep. leave points on the board on fourth mm-hmm. down very, very close. Mm-hmm. I am all about going for it. I'm there. I'm a hundred percent like you should yeah. go for it, that's great. Yeah. But if you're gonna go for it that stupidly you should kick you should kick field goal. We should have kicked field goal there. The right. Delton thing fails. Right. If at first you don't succeed, do not try again. Kick the field goal. And it's an entirely yeah. different game. And I yeah. think TC just left so many points on the board. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's that's really frustrating. Um, the last thing I'll note about the SMU game that I think is interesting, just because I talked about this uh, last week with both of the guests, SMU um, had Reggie, Reggie Roberson just had his way with, with TCU last year. And James mm-hmm. Prost wasn't that big of a factor. James Prost was actually the third leading contender or the third leading catcher behind Kylan Granson and Kylan Granson is a tight end who was playing out in the slot. Yeah. Uh, you know, I won't say he's a Rob Gronkowski type, but he's a big dude who sure. runs real fast. And that was just something we didn't have an answer for. Not necessarily something we're going to see very much of in the big 12, but you know, you just always kind of circle those things. That's like, wow, uh, this is something TC really didn't right. have an answer for. He had 83 yards, caught 80% of the balls thrown his way and was successful on every single catch that he had, 80% success rate as well. Averaging, get this, 20 yards per catch. 
I, I can't name any personnel, but I do know, and, and you were there too, there were a lot of Bay 12 coaches at Bay 12 Media Days that said, like, we want to get the tight end yeah. involved. So if TCU can't stop SMU, can't stop, how the call it, <laughs> SMU's tight end, then, like, that's a problem. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's that, – because Bay 12 coaches are looking to implement those guys in the office. That really kind of segue that, – that, that, uh, sorry, not segues. That really kind of encapsulates this game for me of if SMU can do this to you, Right. Not even Oklahoma. Oklahoma's lost. That's fine. That's <laughs> right. happening. We're talking right. like sure, Oklahoma sure, sure, State. Sure. We're talking West Virginia, who has been extremely crafty. Yeah. We're talking Charlie Brewer and Baylor. Man, it is just uh, woof. You'd like to see yep. some changes. Okay, yep. so uh, we're at 23 minutes. So we're going to take a little bit of a break here because I've been told okay. by our corporate overlords that there are these things called ads that have to happen on the show. So I haven't heard them. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's for a mattress or if it's for a stupid football podcast that you shouldn't listen to. But it's um, it's definitely one of those, and we're going to take a break and come back after that and talk about Kansas. Listen to the shutdown full I'm cat. cutting that out. Okay, cool. That's great. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'll cut out some of that intermediary. No, you're, you're good on talking. I'm doing the same thing, too. Um, all right, so we'll lead back in in three, two, okay. one. Grant, we've talked about the SMU game. It was terrible. It wasn't fun. It was yep. hotter than I thought it was going to be, although we did get some cloud cover. And TCU just all around, all around stunk, uh, aside from the run game. We have to look forward now to one of the weirder teams. So we come from a weird game in SMU and we have to look at one of the weirder teams in the Kansas Jayhawks. Kansas last week had a scrappy game against West Virginia. West Virginia only had a 9% win expectancy against Kansas, but the Mountaineers come away victorious 29 to 24. Kansas has been, again, one of the weirder teams this season. They should have two FCS losses. They are lucky to only have one. And yet they went to Boston College on the road and dropped the freaking hammer on Boston College a couple just weeks beat ago. The hell out just was that was huge. just a that was yeah. just a a beatdown of beatdowns. So what are your thoughts going into this Kansas matchup? TC always plays Kansas weird. What do you think? Uh, what are you thinking about this weekend as we as we kind of look to this game? Yeah, man, so this has been a bugaboo for, for TCU for the last few years. Um, obviously, Kansas played them close, with the exception of 2017 being TCU last year. Um, I think the Jayhawks are weirdly good in pass defense. Um, Mike Lee was at Big 12 Media Days this year, the uh, the free safety for Kansas, and he kind of talked about the pride the secondary has to the Jayhawks. Um, they're a good pass defensive team. Uh, per the NCAA, the 36th nationally, fourth in the Big 12 uh, in pass defense in, in terms of yards per game. I'm sure you have better stats that can explain that. But um, Rush defense, they're not very good. Um, I think the offense kind of depends on whether or not Carter Stanley is on that day. They have a receiving crew that can be good, can also be kind of inconsistent, and Stanley tends to rely on Andrew Parchment, which is a very interesting last name, um, more than he does on any other receiver, and it's kind of obvious that that's who TCU needs to target. 
Uh, Puka Williams and Khalil Herbert are experienced rushers. Herbert's a big play threat, but I think with TCU's uh, strength being run defense, they can handle that. So, again, this should be a win for TCU, but we saw last week how a should-be win can turn into a loss. So, it's, uh, again, a game that I think a lot of TCU fans will hate to watch. Yeah, I I agree with that sentiment. So, S&P, or excuse me, SP+, has Kansas uh, an, an 18-point dog to TCU. So TCU winning by 18 um, with an 86% chance, which we know that S&P is a liar and it hates us and it <laughs> right. um, wants us to, to be unhappy and sad. So I don't believe that yes. a ton, but yes. the number is still favorite, mostly because Kansas looked abysmal against two terrible, terrible teams losing to Coastal Carolina at home. That's the thing. Um, and so I really am yeah. just kind of discounting those because it's year one with less and he doesn't have, you know, I don't know who, who his players are, but he doesn't have his players. And so I'm really just kind of honing in on this West Virginia game and, and noting a couple of things. The first thing that I'm noticing as I'm looking over this box score is Kansas's success rate in the first quarter was 10% and West Virginia's was 52%. So um, if you if you go over and... Like, think about, so TCU really, really struggled to get a, um, really, really struggled to get started this season, or excuse me. Yeah. They have all season, but specifically against SMU, really, really, really struggled. And um, they, I'm totally vamping right now. I'm sorry. I thought I had this pulled up and I didn't. You're good. You're good. I don't even have to cut it out. It's Roll. fine. Dadgummit. It's all good. What is this? We're going to cut this. Or we won't. I don't know. Whatever. You're all good. Roll with it. Okay, yeah, here's well and, and West Virginia only capitalized, but West Virginia outscored them seven to zero in the first quarter, right? So Kansas has this abysmal yep. first quarter and West Virginia can only put up seven points. That ends up kind of being the decision in the game uh, going going forward, the deciding factor. And so TCU is really gonna have to find a first a, a first quarter start. They're gonna have to come out and and do something crazy, which is really what I was talking about last week with saying like, man, I just want Duggan to come down and Throw a touchdown on the first – like, I just want him to have a great drive to start off. Yeah. He hasn't done that. We've started Delton, and he hasn't, hasn't done that. Um, and so, yeah, that, that Kansas really, really gets off to slow starts. And you've just really got to hope that TCU can come in, be angry, and, and do something with that. No, I completely agree. Um, and, and I think Kansas' defense is open enough to where – you and I have talked a lot on Twitter and, and offline about establishing the run. And, and look, that's bad for it. But if, if TCU can take advantage of Kansas's like awful run defense and just say, "Listen, we're going to pound the ball down your throat and you know score in the first half by hook or by crook," you know whether it's by maybe sacrificing a fourth and three, which I would hate, but just letting Jonathan Song kick a field goal or something and just get ahead of the Jayhawks like. Kansas cannot compete with that. Like you said, in the first half, they take forever to get in rhythm. And if, can, if TCU can just get a score on Kansas, that's an advantage that you know will probably decide the game. And it's super frustrating because it was the same thing with SMU. Yep. <laughs> like TCU just needed to get something, and they couldn't do it. So Kansas, God bless them, probably the best opportunity to say, hey, we're going to try some things in the Big 12 and – Take advantage of your weaknesses because you've been a cellar dweller for the last decade. And I, anyway, it, it, 
it frustrates it frustrates me to have to talk about the minutia for a Texas game for a TCU or for, sorry for a Kansas game for TCU because they should just win. Yep. Like that's by like, Kansas has won twenty games since two thousand ten. That, that's mind blowing. That's mind blowing. And most of those are concentrated. Yeah, earlier. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I've got I've got yeah. some just stats. I've you know I've kind of like nitpicked this little box score again. I can't. I you know we're we're all suffering this year because Bill Conley went to ESPN and those very nifty right. stat right. profiles are now gone right. for a season. Um, darn you, Bill! Yeah. Uh, getting getting paid for your work. But I just looking at some of these. You know he's he's published some of these box scores. Kansas or West Virginia three point three points per scoring opportunity last week. That is trash. The uh, the national average is 4.43. Yeah. So TCU last week was a healthy over four. They were at 4.75, which is actually um, kind of in that in that top tier of, of being pretty pretty good. And um, so TCU is going to have to take advantage of getting into scoring opportunities, uh, especially against a defense that 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 can kind yeah. of kind of shut that down. So that's going to red zone play calling is going to matter a lot more this season or this game than it did last game. Uh, additionally, West Virginia on standard downs had a 56% success rate, but passing downs, obvious passing situations, 29%. Let me tell you, freshman quarterback against a defense who can ball hawk, that is going to go south so quickly. TCU's got to use, again, I'm saying use the rush. It's got to use the rush smart. It's got to yeah. use early down passing to avoid those second and longs. Um a swing pass on first and ten is a recipe for failure with your well, with not, your freshman quarterback. Um, the last one I look at. No, oh, sure. go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was gonna say, and again, these are you know kind of baseline stats, but like I said, the Kansas defense, thirty-six nationally, four in the Big Twelve Conference, ahead of TCU in pass defense. Mike Lee's a really good free safety, and also they have a linebacker, uh, Drew Prox, who's averaging seven point five solo tackles per game. That's fifth highest in the nation, just uh, three spots behind Garrett Wallow. Um, excuse me, two behind Garrett Wallow. Um, like, they can, like, run to the ball in terms of screen passes, short passes, stuff like that. Like, they have that locked down. It's the run defense where they struggle. They're 100th in the nation in run defense. So those short passes that Duggan has been able to hit this season, they won't be effective against Kansas. And that sounds weird to say, but that's what they specialize against. And so that, that kind of, you know, if you're going to play strength on weakness, it's going to be running the ball. That's what PC is going to have to do. Definitely. And I think to, to again, to take the burden off of a freshman quarterback, they're going to have to run the ball right. smart. So I'm still, yeah. I'm still saying you got to early down pass. You got to get to the middle of the field. You got to throw the ball downfield. I, I'm going to die on that hill. Golly, we got to throw the ball downhill. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kansas gave up 7.1 plays per drive. West Virginia was moving the ball down. They just couldn't finish. And so you saw that against SMU. Right. There were drives where TCU was just saying, nope, we're going to the end zone. That's happening. We need to recreate that in sense of being aggressive, being smart about the run, not just resigning ourselves to, um, hey, we're going to we're gonna run it on first down because we have a high yards per play. That's not what you're saying. But that's what right. TCU's been doing. Um, and so they're going to have to they're going to have to tweak that a little bit because it is, um, man, Kansas, I'm looking at this box score, so yeah. I think I said this out loud. West Virginia's win expectancy was 9%. Kansas probably should have won yeah. this game, and they, yeah. you know, aside from a terrible first quarter, they looked really good. 70% success rate in the fourth quarter, so TCU can't get in a hole 
Um, because because yeah. unlike SMU, where SMU kind of faltered down in the down the end and gave TCU a chance to come back, Kansas got better every quarter. Um, and so that's yep. gonna be that's gonna be really really hard for a TCU team that's that started pretty slow. No, yeah, I, I, look, Les Miles, like as much as it's fun to, to joke about him for eating grass or doing the weird things that he does, like he's won a national championship with like he is a with good Saban's team. players, but points he gets, yeah, <laughs> point stands. But like, but he can make adjustments. Yeah. you know what I mean. Like, and so I, I, I like. This isn't the Kansas of the last, you know, six years where it's been, you know, bottom of the barrel team coaches that are just kind of in their first job and trying to adjust. Like this is a guy who knows what he's doing, um, and and right there is tragically the moment when Grant's audio cut out. So we'll have to wrap his section of the podcast and go ahead and transition to Andy Mitts of Rock Chalk Talk and put his audio here. Sorry about that technical difficulty. Let's do another ad break real quick and then we'll get to Andy and his segment. Andy Mitz with me here today. Andy is the manager editor at Rock Chalk Talk, SB Nation's Kansas blog. He is a contributor at the Land Grant Gauntlet, our friends over there. And he also hosts the Rock Chalk podcast, which can be found uh, anywhere that you listen to podcasts, like the app that you're listening to this one on. Andy, hello, and welcome to the Stats War podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just dive right in and let's talk about Kansas. I want to get to football. I want to talk about the games. I want to talk about some numbers. But I'm seeing news about this notice of allegations. And so I just want to get the insider take. What's going on with Kansas basketball? What's going on with David Beatty cheating? Can you kind of break down that situation for some of us outsiders? Yeah, so it's it's a little weird. I didn't think I'd be talking about basketball in the middle of football season until basketball actually started. But, you know, we knew that notice of allegations were probably coming after the Adidas trial. The question was always going to be, how did they take that um, that that testimony and piece it together to come up with what the allegations were actually going to be. Uh, it ended up being, I think, probably the worst take that you probably could and how they put it all together, um, you know, in, in terms of um, coming up with the uh, lack of institutional control charge that they ended up having. Um, and they actually had multiple level one violations that they're alleging here. The, the thing that really strikes me about this, and I think Bill Self said it best, you know, is that the allegations seem to be the NCAA trying to take back control after, um, you know, the FBI investigation and that trial made them look like fools. Uh, they have essentially taken every piece of information that came out of that trial, found the worst way to spin it, um, and then threw it all together, you know, into a notice of allegations, grabbing any possible thing that they could have found in all of history to show that there's this big, huge pattern of Kansas breaking the rules. And when you have to reach back to 1957 to get <laughs> five incidents of, you know, Kansas breaking the rules, um, you know, there was a 1957 and a 1988. Like when you have to reach that far back to get five, there really isn't a pattern like they're trying to, to, to show. Right. 
Um, you know, the only one of the allegations are in terms of violations that they actually talked about um, that happened during the Bill Self tenure, which is over 15 years at this point, uh, was something that happened back in 2006. I don't even remember the details of exactly what it was, um, but it wasn't like a huge deal at the time in terms of Kansas doing something that they weren't supposed to. I believe it had something to do with like recruiting calls or something like that. There was a mix up. Um, but I don't want to talk too much about those details because I don't remember what they were. And, and to be honest, it's not really that important. It was a, a fairly small violation, especially compared to what they're charging now. That happened a really long time ago, um, back when, you know, self was fairly new at the school. They didn't think it was a big deal then. Um, so this really rings to me as them trying to save face. Now, what this means moving forward, because we always knew that they were going to try to make an example out of someone. And Kansas being the biggest fish that's related to Adidas was probably the best bet for the target. The question was going to be, how did they approach it and what could they end up getting to stick? And, and a lot of that, too, I thought was, how is Kansas going to approach this? Uh, I think the fact they came out with such big charges meant that Kansas was a lot more defensive about this than they really probably would have been if it had been, you know, a single charge, uh, maybe of fa failure to monitor or something like that, that could have had some serious penalties, um, but wouldn't have necessarily meant a postseason ban automatically. Kansas might have found something agreeable. They could have self-imposed some, some penalties, kind of dealt with it, and everybody would move on their way. But the fact that they went after Bill Self himself um, with, you know, three potential charges that could get him banned from the sport for several years, um, just as a matter of pride, I don't think that they were ever going to let it go. And so yeah. the NCAA wanted a fight, Kansas, you know, and so they, they essentially dug as deep as they could to make the charges as big as possible to pretty much guarantee that Kansas is going to put up a fight. They want to make an example out of someone. Kansas wants to show just how ridiculous the entire enforcement, you know, uh, arm of the NCAA is at this point. Um, ultimately, I don't think this gets resolved anytime soon. I don't think we see any sanctions coming anytime this year. I would not be shocked to see this drag out as long as the UNC issues yeah. did with the whole fake classes. You know, that one took seven years for them to fully adjudicate and to get everything resolved at that point. And it ended up with UNC not getting any punishment at all for it. I don't think that Kansas is going to get out of this scot-free. But I would not be surprised if this went to the federal courts at the end of all of this, where Kansas, you know, Kansas, their strategy in this reeks to me of they want to show how arbitrary and how patently unfair this entire system is, where the NCAA knew this was going on, chose forever not to enforce it. And then when when the FBI aired all their dirty laundry, they came in and picked one program to try to make an example of. Now, yeah. I think in, in the NCAA is going to charge more schools and try to use that as a defense of, no, we're looking to go clean up everybody. Um, but ultimately, I think the, the argument for Kansas is get the public opinion on our side, get this to a federal court, and see if we can essentially blow up the entire system to avoid any huge sanctions. Yeah. Well, I think I, I have a couple of thoughts about that. I mean, the NCAA has clearly established the precedent that if you argue, you're going to get punished. Or sorry, if you agree, you're going to get punished. Look at Missouri um, and look at Ole Miss a little bit. Like the incentive is there to fight. And so I think that's an astute point about, you know, them, them wanting a fight. I think it's particularly damning of the NCAA, not of Kansas, but of the NCAA, that there was a guy who was saying, I've got Bill Self on, on tape saying, I'll pay Zion Williams, whatever, come here. 
And that wasn't really a part of the, like that wasn't the focal point of this. Uh, so wait, wait, wait. Where was this? Who who was it that said that they had a tape of him? Okay, okay. So I listened to um, CBS uh, basketball podcast Gary Parish and Matt Norlander. And right. So when all this stuff came out, they did some Norlander did some great reporting. He was like in the courtroom. And man, I wish I knew enough to remember who this was. But there was there was conversation. It wasn't. He has a weird name from Kansas or from uh, from Arizona. But uh, man, this is not good podcast quality content right here. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll have to look. So, at, no, um, I'm gonna like send you this send this to you offline because like this is something that I thought would be part of it. But there was a dude who was like, "Yeah, I have I have Bill Self on the wiretap saying I'll pay I'll pay Zion whatever." And that never manifested. And like, clearly that's not a part of this. Well, I mean, I, I can understand why that wouldn't have come up in the trial. If, if, if assuming that that actually exists, I can understand why it wouldn't have come up in the trial because the government was trying to know that Kansas wasn't actually a victim in anything other than the letter of the law. Right. Um, you know, but, but I don't think that's kind of the point here. Like, yeah, we realize that this entire process has been dirtied and and you know I would argue and I think most people would agree that the NCAA created the system enabled the system you know allowed the shoe companies to be so involved in AAU and you know the entire recruitment process from the beginning um, which set this entire program into motion and that any team that doesn't engage in this type of activity is going to fall behind because everyone else is doing it now it doesn't make it right um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make it so that it does. It isn't against the rules like it's definitely against the rules, but everybody does it. Everybody knows about it. Everyone knows it's happening, including the NCAA. They just have never been able to get anyone on the record, you know, to talk about what is happening. Right. And so they there's been enough plausible deniability that they never felt they could do anything. And now they have people on the record saying what's happening. The problem is the sworn testimony that they're using, you know, essentially says that uh oh wait the school knew absolutely nothing about it so what did they do recently you know when all of this was happening they actually added rules as the trial was going on that said that if anybody connected to your program does anything like this that the head coach is responsible and that's why they're coming after bill self with these new charges um but you know by by designating tj gasanola as a booster of kansas the way that the ncaa is trying to do uh they are essentially uh, saying that anybody related to a shoe company that's ever done any work on behalf of a school is now a booster of that school, uh, which means that every single school in the country has a ton of boosters from from apparel companies yep. going all over the place and talking with all these kids, which means that every single program now is non-compliant. The problem is, you know, for Kansas is that none of these other schools have had that relationship bared for everyone to see in a public court. Um, you know, so I expect. I expect that Arizona, I expect the LSU, I expect that other schools are going to get notice of allegations here pretty soon. Um, and then it will be multiple schools trying to fight this. We'll see how all of those shake out. But I think they're going to get the biggest fight from Kansas because of the way that all this has happened. Right. And like, I think the biggest piece of evidence that they're going to try to use um, is they're going to try to use the fact that Kansas was willing to hypothetically designate Gasignola as a booster to expedite Silvio de Souza's eligibility request. Mm-hmm. Um, by their own rules, they are not allowed to use that positively as evidence of showing that he is a booster. Like they have to independently 
determine that. Um, but I get the feeling that they're going to take that shortcut and it might come back to bite them when they're trying to fight this, this yeah. case, Kansas, especially since the entire review process at this point now is not actually inside the NCAA anymore. It's now this independent commission that got, you know, put together as part of the rice report. Um, you know, they, they now have to justify all of this outside of the NCAA. So there is a chance that Kansas could come out of this without serious sanctions because of that. But there's also just as many, you know, opportunities for you know other pitfalls and so the only thing that i know for certain is that i don't know how long it's going to take and i <laughs> don't know what's going to happen in the end but it's going to be a huge fight we're going to see a lot come out of this and i would not be surprised if this is the battle that finally shakes up how enforcement is done in the in the ncaa that would be um that would be wild and yeah this is just crazy to have this basketball news in the middle of middle of football season cool so i mean we'll be i mean i'm sure at the at the site you guys will have a ton of content so we'll be able to follow as that's going on because that you know that has ramifications for big 12 but it also has ramifications for just the way that the sport works and we're gonna you know i think in the next five years plus you know add in tv contract stuff we're gonna see a lot of changes and this might be kind of that harbinger of of change um, let's go ahead and let's pivot to football. So I'm, I'm super interested in the basketball stuff, but unfortunately both of us have to watch our terrible teams play a football game this weekend. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Kansas comes to Fort Worth as, um, a 15 and a half point dog. Uh, they S and P or excuse me, SP plus has TCU favored, uh, by 18.4 points and an 86% win probability. Andy, Talk to me about Kansas football in 2019. Where are they? What's going on? Well, first of all, I I would be remiss if I didn't say, you know, pull out the great movie quote of, don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think that this Kansas team is a terrible football team. Like I, and honestly, I wouldn't say the same thing about TCU. I think obviously the game against SMU for TCU colored a lot of the opinions of TCU fans at this point. But, you know, TCU isn't a terrible football team. They, t- they just have a lot of offensive problems that they have to deal with. Kansas is not a terrible football team. They're actually a lot better, I think, than a lot of people expected or even hoped for coming into this year. Um, you know, Les Miles has brought a brand new swagger to this team, brought a brand new attitude. There's been a lot of KU fans that have been very gun-shy to fully buy into this team because we've been burned so many times. You know, and this honestly is kind of funny because last year I got upset with David Beatty um, you know, and I, I had finally told myself that I wasn't going to buy in and there were some early signs of life with the big game against Central Michigan and Rutgers. And then I bought in and then I got burned again. Um, you know, and so I told myself this year that I was not going to buy in. I think I've done a fairly good job of keeping my expectations normal. But there is there is a tangible difference between this team and last year's team. Um, and it, it, it all has to do with the coaching staff, with all of the all of the positive vibes around this coaching staff, the swagger that Les Miles brings. Um, you know, this team does have talent. They've had problems getting that shown on the field before, but this is a, a fairly good defense. They're not, you know, phenomenal by any means, but they're definitely a quality defense when you talk about the top level talent. They've had a few guys step up in areas that were weaknesses in Drew Prox stepping up in the linebacking core and then Darius Moraney uh, on the defensive line. Um, you know, there is definitely some holes there, some ways that TCU can exploit them this week. Um, but this, the, the secondary is really strong. You know, this defense, I think, is a lot better than a lot of people give them credit for. And we've started to see the offense make some good strides, especially in the passing game that they just didn't have last year. 
Um, you know, there are still going to be growing pains. I very well could see this Kansas team not winning another game the rest of the year. And we're still feeling good about them because they've been competitive in most of their games and they've actually shown signs of improvement. Um, something that we did not see at all under David Beatty. Definitely. And especially like improvement across the season, you know, it feels like a typical Kansas season to lose a bad game early and then just, just pit and pack it in. And that West Virginia game, man, they looked really scrappy. Actually, they had a 9% post-game win, or West Virginia had a 9% post-game win expectancy. So Kansas really outplayed West Virginia for the majority of that game, aside from the first quarter. Um, you talked about the offensive line and the defensive line. Kansas allowed two sacks last week. Um, TCU did not touch Shane Bouchelle versus SMU. That's going to be the key matchup, I think, is can TCU's offensive line take take advantage of Kansas's, I don't want to say weakest, but one of Kansas's weaker points. Um, that's, that's really what's going to matter. Um, I, I, you know, looking at some stats, I'm really interested in Kansas had an abysmal first quarter against West Virginia. They had a 10% success rate. They scored no points. And that really ended up being the, the difference in the game, uh, kind of going forward is they couldn't get started. They've also dug themselves into holes versus Illinois state and versus coastal Carolina. Um, talk to me, are you worried about Kansas's slow starts? Is that something they can improve on? Or is that kind of where they are right now, talent wise, what's going on with their, their slow starts? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that they need to work on. This is definitely a second half team. And to be honest, I think a lot of it has just been the fact that this team has changed their offensive game plan so much from week to week. I mean, you know, they, they were the typical less miles kind of ground and pound. Uh, for the first two games, and it didn't really work. They were never really able to get it going. And you saw that because they didn't really score a lot of points in either of those games. Um, they really opened up the playbook against Boston College. They found their footing pretty early in that one. Um, you know, again, they had problems in the first quarter, but they found their footing shortly after the first quarter, and then it was a track meet for them for the rest of the game. They really brought in those RPO concepts, uh, which opened up the playbook for them. Uh, this game against West Virginia, they kind of went back a little bit to what they had been doing in the first two games. They, they, they still had some of the RPO concepts, but not nearly as much. Um, you know, I've talked about this actually on our podcast um, and a few other places as well, but you know, it definitely seems like coach, coach Brett Dearman, uh, you know, he, he wrote the book on RPOs, literally wrote a book on RPOs and, and those concepts and kind of introduced them to a lot of people. Um, you know, he is a, an offensive analyst on this staff. Um, I'm not sure what his role is actually on game day, but it seemed like last week they didn't have him because his wife was giving birth. Um, and so, you know, but we are very excited to have him back because when he was gone, it, they didn't seem to be using RPOs nearly as much. So I, again, I don't know what his actual role is on game day, but hopefully it's enough that we get those back in the game plan this week um, because they seem to thrive on them. Stanley seems to be really good at actually making those types of decisions you need to with those RPOs. They need to get them started quickly. They need to really utilize them as much as possible. Um, but I, I honestly, I think that's the key to getting over the slow starts. But it has come back to bite them because they've really picked it up in the second half. But usually by the time they pick it up, they're far enough behind, um, you know, that they they struggle at that point to really keep it going, to keep the defense from giving up enough points that they can come back and actually take a lead in the, in the fourth quarter. Definitely. I mean, they had a 70% success rate in the fourth quarter. That's, that's wild. That is yeah. unbelievable. They got better. They got better every quarter. Um, really bad on pass downs, though. 13% success rate on passing downs, which, again, for the listeners, passing downs is those situations where you're in that second and long, third and long kind of situation where it's obvious that you pass. And I find that kind of crazy because Kansas averaged 5.18 5 yards per carry against West Virginia. 
but they averaged 10.07 yards per attempt, uh, per passing attempt. So their passing game was actually pretty awesome, just not on not on passing downs. Uh, the difference there on standard downs, 14 yards in attempt, and on passing downs, only three yards um, at attempt. So some of that, like you said, might be some play calling. Um, and some of that might be, you know, West Virginia doesn't necessarily have a quote unquote good defense, but they have a defense that can react to situations. Um, well, well I, I, oh, I'd be curious too. I don't know if you have the the split there, but I'm wondering how many times uh, now are you are you talking about specifically in the West Virginia game or is that season wide? Yeah, just no, just specifically West Virginia game. I'm kind of discounting okay. the earlier games because yeah, no, nonsense. That, that's good because I, I would think that would be heavily skewed by earlier games if you're looking at season wide when they were essentially just trying to pound the ball all the time, even in yeah. passing games. Um, but you know, there was a few, a few issues I think there as well, where they were trying to lean on the run, I think more than they really needed to, um, even in passing situations, like they let less miles likes to be unpredictable. And in some cases it can actually hurt him because I do feel like even in that particular game, they ran the ball in some obvious passing situations and were not successful with it. Um, you know, but, but I, I also do think that you're right in that West Virginia is, is a very good situational defensive team. Um, in general, if there's a lot of options open, they're not so great at defending everything. But if they know what you're going to do, they can usually get a good defense that is going to give you problems. Totally. And that's reflected on, um, you know, Kansas had a, a 61% success rate on standard downs last week, but only a 13% success rate on pass downs. Um, let's, so before we flip to the other side of the ball, Let's talk about Kansas's weapons. Carter Stanley, I think I tweeted at you last week after the Boston College game, uh, and I asked you, is Carter Stanley good? I think we have an answer now. I think he's pretty – he's okay. He's all right. He's not terrible. Um, but he's got uh, – he's, you know, he's got a couple options. He's really spread the ball around to Andrew Parchment and Stephon Robinson Jr. And then you have – you know, those, those guys are responsible for 15 of his completions, uh, and then he kind of spread out pa- passes – excuse me, 15 of his targets. And then he kind of spread out passes uh, uh, minimally outside that. So uh, talk to me about that wide receiving core and the rushing, uh, the, the running backfield. Kind of what are Kansas's weapons look like? Because TCU really struggled with that multiplicity that, that SMU brought. Yeah, I mean, so they had, uh, I mean, they, they have a few weapons. They do have Andrew Parchment. They do have Dalen Charlotte are the two, the, the two main guys. Um, you know, and, and in various games this year, they've had a few guys that are stepping up in individual games. Um, Stefan Robinson has stepped up a few times and he did actually quite a bit in that West Virginia game. Kwame Lasseter, um, has stepped up a few times. What, what has really surprised me is that they haven't been utilizing the running backs very much in the passing game, especially Puka, because last year he was very successful, you know, in, in the passing game, going out onto wheel routes. Um, you know, things like that where he would catch the ball on the flat and get off for a big gain where he can get out in space. They haven't used it very much this year, even when they're in RPO kind of situations. And I honestly, I think that's because they've had the running backs in a lot of base situations. Um, it's just it's just been really weird. Like, that's one of Puka's big strengths, especially. And they haven't utilized it. And I'm, I'm curious as to why. I'm wondering when it's going to actually happen. Um, but... You know, Andrew Parchman has been absolutely phenomenal this year for them. I, I Honestly, I think he has been, other than Carter Stanley, the biggest surprise for the entire team. And, and you know, he is a brand, he is brand new to the team. He was, he was recruited by Les Miles, and they obviously saw something in him that a lot of people just weren't prepared for. 
Um, you know, but he has been an absolute stud. You know, he's he's followed the pattern of Kansas typically has one wide receiver who would most likely be a starter on most other Big 12 teams, but doesn't get the stats because they haven't had a quarterback that can actually get him the ball. Um, now they finally have a quarterback with it, who has enough protection from an offensive line that can actually get them the ball, can make good decisions. And, you know, you you tweeted that to me asking if Carter Stan was actually good. And I think my response was yes, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've definitely seen signs that he knows what he's doing. And, you know, he's done this multiple times throughout his career. You know, he has good games where he makes good, tough decisions, reads the situations and makes the plays that he needs to. You know, Texas in 2016, um, you know, never forget Kansas beat Texas in football. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, he, he has made good decisions when he's had an opportunity to play. Uh, you know, the problem has always been he hasn't been, been able to give no one's given him enough consistency in terms of being able to get in there and establish himself or stuck with him long enough. Les Miles has finally decided this is my quarterback. This is what I'm sticking with. We'll ride through some of the problems that he has, but he's going to pull us through. And largely he has actually, you know, proven Les Miles correct in that. Yes, he's had lots of bumps. He's he's had more turnovers than I'm willing to you know, admit that I'm comfortable with. But he has always found a way to bounce back, and he has always found a way to put up a big performance when he needs to, to at least keep them in the game. And yeah, it didn't work. You know, it didn't work out against Coastal Carolina. And yes, he threw that pick against West Virginia. But even then, he bounced back, and they just didn't have quite enough to get all the way back against West Virginia. So you know, Carter Stanley, I think, has been the big driver. Um, but you know, they have the the, the two headed uh, rushing attack in Khalil Herbert. And, and Puka Williams, who are com- two completely different style of running backs. Um, you know, if Kansas is successful on offense, it's going to be because they have so many different weapons that can do so many different things that TCU is not going to be able to cover all of them. It's all going to come down to can Kansas call the right plays to take advantage of what TCU doesn't cover on a particular play to get that success consistently to move the ball forward. Definitely, which is what we, you know, what we saw SMU was was able to do against uh, against TCU for sure. Okay, so um, kind of, I want to turn to I want to turn to predictions. Um, I want to ask you if Kansas wins this weekend, how did it happen? What's Kansas's best case scenario? And then on the flip side, if they just get run off the road, you know, just completely run over. What happened? So best case scenario for Kansas this weekend and worst case scenario for Kansas this weekend. Kind of how did both of those happen? So so I think best case scenario is if, you know, if, if we go to the other side of the ball we haven't talked about yet, um, if, if TCU continues to struggle offensively. Yeah. Because that's really what it comes down to. Kansas has a decent defense, but it's by no means, you know, a phenomenal one that everyone's going to be talking about. Um, you know, TCU is going to have to make mistakes offensively, I think, for Kansas to to really put on a show in this game. Um, you know, I think the offense is going to continue to to have a slow start. Um, but, you know, if, if, if KU is within a touchdown going into halftime uh, and, and the TCU offense has not been putting up a bunch of points, I like Kansas' chances to win this game, actually. Um, but best case scenario would be that the, the, the defense finally starts getting turnovers. Uh, you know, they've only they've only actually intercepted two passes this year. They have not recovered any fumbles. Um, you know, they benefited greatly from turnover luck last year and they mm-hmm. have been really bad turnover luck this year for them. And so, you know, they've got to get that turned around. I think TCU is a team that makes enough mistakes offensively that Kansas might be able to jump on them. And that's what would drive them to a win, you know, a big win even 
Um, if they can get those turnovers, can give their offense short fields, and then the offense is able to go ahead and you know use that momentum to go ahead and score quickly. If Kansas can get off to a big, uh, to a fast start, either from getting a turnover um, or just the the offense goes wild immediately, uh, I like Kansas's chance to win this one and to win it big and to surprise a lot of people. That being said, the you know the opposite is they have struggles in the first quarter. Um, that carries into the second quarter. You know, they they get down by a couple touchdowns pretty early. The defense is allowing TCU to, even if they don't score, to move the ball a lot. And finally, the defense just kind of wears out when the offense can't get anything going in the second half. What I am terrified of is that TCU is going to guess correctly or be set up to read what Kansas is doing um, on pretty much every single play, and the offense is never going to get going. Um, you know, we, we've... We haven't really seen a game where when Kansas is doing what they want to do, the other team has just been able to shut them down. I think TCU has the talent to be able to do that. The question is going to be, are they going to call the right play to do, you know, to counteract what Kansas is trying to do? It's going to be a fascinating game, I think, because I honestly, I think the most fascinating part of this is not going to be the playmakers. It's going to be the strategy involved. It's going to be can can one team call the right plays in the right situation on both sides of the ball to shut down the other team? Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of instances. We're going to see a lot of big plays. I think just because neither team is going to guess right all the time, and both team, I think both teams, I think have enough good playmakers. Um, TCU specifically on the defense and Kansas specifically on their offense have enough big playmakers that we're going to see a lot of fireworks. I think from both sides of the ball from both of these teams. The question is just going to be who can string together the most. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 